So as I said, I'm just going to share some thoughts around um, the significance of today, and then we'll go and eat some hot cross buns. I can't believe I forgot what they were called. <laughs> Rookie. And uh, have some coffee afterwards. But we've been on a journey over the last a week or so looking at um, sort of three parts of the gospel story, the, the Jesus story. And... Um, and for me, this is, this is super significant for me because when I was 16 years of age, um, that's when I truly had an encounter with God and truly felt like my life shifted where I got it, like I've heard about Jesus. I grew up sort of going to church, you know, on and off. But um, cutting a long story short, when I was 13, I discovered that my, my dad was not my dad, that um, when I was um, conceived, uh, my mum's partner at the time was not um, wanting to have children so he was like no nope, too bad so sad i'm out he bailed and so mum remarried very very soon after that and raised me to think that my stepdad was my biological dad and at age 13 i discovered that wasn't the case and so that as a young man entering adolescence and um, approaching manhood that threw a massive spanner in the works um, for my identity how i felt about myself and life and then two years later, they divorced. So then I had to go through the whole parent splitting thing, the family unit breaking down. And so that two-year period, which was such, for, for young men, is such a vital part of their development and, and all that sort of stuff was, was massive for me. And I felt myself going to, um, to a place where if God didn't reach in and pull me out, I would have went into darkness, despair, and, and I would have had a life far different to what I'm enjoying right now. And, and it's because of the gospel. It's because of what Jesus has done. It's because I, I heard and understood and, and received what God had done for me. And so last week we looked at Jesus and the triumphal entry, how he came to Jerusalem and was there for the Passover festival and jumped on a donkey and there was palm leaves and people laid in their coats and people were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, and welcoming Jesus as a king. And it's awesome. And we read that part of the story. We go, that's fantastic. And, um, and we shared uh, on Friday and again last Sunday how you know, that, that picture was of a king entering a city after conquering and killing and destroying. He would come back and he would sit on a donkey and, and they would welcome him in as a conquering king. But in Jesus, we see, yes, a king, but not one who has come from slaughtering many, but one who would be slaughtered himself for many. And, and it's just this total different picture of what a king would do, that he would lay down his life for those he loves. And so the story goes on. They go into uh, Jerusalem and it is for this festival of Passover to remember and reflect on how generations and generations before God had set their people free, the, the, the Israelites, from slavery in Egypt. For 430 years they were slaved and, and God set them free. And so they had this annual pilgrimage, annual festival to remember and reflect upon that. And it's in that festival that you see um, da Vinci's painting, reenactment of the Last Supper. Jesus reclining with his disciples, having a meal, um, sharing some things. And, and dread starts to come upon Jesus as he starts to reflect upon what is coming. And so this is what we talked about on Good Friday, that... From that moment, they, they, they finish the meal, they go for a walk, they go up the hill, and Jesus says, would you, would you just pray with me for, for an hour? The disciples fell asleep. And Jesus wakes them up, would you, would you just pray? And they fell back asleep three times, just kept falling asleep. And so they continue on, and then we know the story goes on, and, and Jesus is then surrounded by Roman soldiers who arrest him and take him um, into uh, their custody. And, 
He's betrayed by Judas, one of his own men, one of his own friends, betrays him with a kiss and leads him into, um, into the, the arms of the, the Roman soldiers. And as he's arrested, the, the, the city starts to whip into a frenzy. And, uh, and then Peter, one of Jesus' closest, closest mates, is approached three separate times. Aren't you with Jesus? And he didn't, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Three times denies Jesus. He's brought before Pontius Pilate to um, be sentenced to death. And Pontius Pilate's like, well, I don't see anything wrong with this man. He's, he's all right with me. He's, he's cool. But the crowd by this time had, had completely turned from Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest to crucify him, crucify him, stick him up on the hill. And Pilate's like, this is crazy. This is insane. I don't see anything wrong with this man. What has he done? He's healed people. He's helped people. He's taught some really good, helpful um, you know, TED Talks over the years. Why would you want to kill him? And he said, well, I know what we'll do. We'll, I'll, I'll, I'll put up the worst of the worst versus Jesus, and we'll let the crowd see with rational thought. Um, we'll put this guy Barabbas up here, who was a murderer, a villain, uh, just an awful, awful human being. And he thinks, well, if I put him against Jesus and I say, look, you can choose which one to set free and which one to kill, surely they're going to choose to set Jesus free because they didn't want this guy back loose in the community. But that's not how the story plans out. Jesus takes the place of Barabbas, the wicked, the wrong, the sinner, who probably was deserving of death, but Jesus substituted him out and took his place. And there's so many things we see in the gospel story about substitution, Jesus taking place. He arrived on a donkey as a king, not from killing, but a king that would lay down his life, a substitution. He was substituted out for Barabbas, who deserved death, but he took it for him. And, And on the cross where he hung there, all the sin of the world was put on him. Sin that is our rebellion, our wrongdoing, our want want to do it in our own spirit nature, our I'm God, so I'll do whatever I like. But actually, spiritually, that's us rebelling against God and the wages of our sin is death. But Jesus took that penalty on the cross for us and he bore our sin so that we could be blameless in God's sight. That's essentially the gospel message. Which leads me to where we are in Matthew chapter um, 27. I'm just going to read the account of the resurrection here, starting in verse 46, I think, because it's so far away I can't read it. 45, see? Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Interesting that he cried out in a loud voice, because up until that point, he was pretty quiet. Described him as like a lamb being led to the slaughter. He was, didn't say much even during his interrogation. He's like, all he really said was, yeah, well, it is what it is. I am who I say I am. And he went to the cross like a lamb to the slaughter. But now on the cross, he cries out in a loud voice. Now, keep in mind, it wasn't just Jesus and a couple of Roman soldiers and and two other criminals up there with him. Like, there was a crowd around watching. It was a public spectacle. People would pay tickets. It was like a pay-per-view event to go watch people crucify. It was brutal. And in a loud voice to capture everyone's attention, he cries out. I'm not going to say it in the original. I'll say it in the English. (laughs) I don't like being embarrassed. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. 
One of them who, one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see if Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. And we sang that in the lyrics of some of the songs this morning. And that's, if you, if you don't have like a religious background, that might mean nothing to you. What does it mean that the, the, the curtain of the temple was torn in two? Well, in the temple where, where people would come to worship and the high priest would serve, there was, there was a place reserved at the back called the Holy of Holies that was separated from the people by this curtain that was 60 feet high, 20 feet wide, and it was about the, a hand width thick. So we're talking like nine centimeters or you know, really thick curtain that would weigh a literal ton and just would separate the presence of God from the people. Because if the people entered the presence of God, because of his perfection and holiness and he is pure light, it would just literally kill them. But once a year, the high priest would be able to go back there and he would offer a sacrifice to God in the Holy of Holies because he was the one that would represent the people to God to atone for their sins through the shedding of blood, usually a blameless, innocent lamb. Ergo, Jesus, the Lamb of God. And so the, the, the moment Jesus cried out in a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, he breathed his last breath and he died, the curtain that had separated God from the people was torn from the top to the bottom. And that's significant because human hands can't do that. That's only the hand of God that can take that from the top 60 feet high and in one tore the veil of the curtain in two, which symbolizes the fact that God and people could now be reconciled, united once more. Just like it was in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve would walk with the Lord and talk with the Lord. Now we, through Jesus' sacrifice, have that connection back restored once again. It is absolutely incredible. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. Like, that's the thing we don't think about. We think, oh, Jesus died on the cross. There was a, a literal earthquake happened. Like, he took his last breath and the earth shook and rocks split. Like, and there's a literal crowd around him witnessing. It's a significant event in history. What we're reading here is not a fairy tale. What we're reading here is history. And I love the fact that, that we... The archaeologists and historians will use the Old Testament texts and manuscripts to find locations in history that they can't find through secular documents. And they're never wrong. They're always right. The scriptures, archaeologically and historically, are correct. So when we read this, please don't read it like it's some sort of you know, J.R. Tolkien novel. This is, this is history. This is his story. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It does... It felt wrong at the time as well. Like just, I apologize. Man, I was doing so well too. And then that, verse 52, the tomb, this is the weird thing. Where's Joe Walsh? Um, Dude, where are you, Joe? (laughs) Joe and I have had discussions around this passage for probably about 15 years. Still don't have any answers for you, Joe, but here we go. The tomb, the tombs also were opened, all right? So Jesus dies, the veil of the curtain is torn, and, and then um, the rocks shake, the little earthquake goes on, and then the tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. 
yeah, it's like a little zombie apocalypse happening right there. <laughs> we'll just skip over that for the sake of, for the sake of, sake of time. We just have time to unpack that today. Um, but it's there, okay, whatever. We just, what do we do with that? When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what had taken place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this was the Son of God. How else would you explain that? How else would you explain that one, like this was a common practice. Criminals would die on a cross. It's no big deal, like as far as what would happen in, in ordinary life at that particular time in history. But never before have the earth shook and the rocks broke and the, 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 the curtain in the temple tore and then the tombs open up and zombies start walking down the streets. Like, and then they go, oh, maybe this was the son of God. Or duh, like... What, the raising of Lazarus from the dead didn't give it away. Um, the, the opening of the blind eyes, the lame that walked, like all these stuff didn't give it away. And this just goes to show the, the stupidity that we have as humans, thinking that we've got it all figured out, but really we don't. And we looked on Friday about the, the different people in the, in the life of Jesus and his crucifixion and how we actually, 2,000 years later, still interact with Jesus in a similar way. That, that like, um, like Judas, we still betray Jesus for our own selfish gain. We'll still be like, oh, we'll just take that and I'm just not going to suck. I'll just, you know. We like Pontius Pilate might be like, oh, I'm cool with Jesus and that's all good. But, but when the world sort of kicks in, we just get swept away with whatever the world tells us to do and we just go with the crowd. Or There's so many ways we interact with that because at the, at the core of who we are, and I'm throwing myself in this basket, humanity, we're pretty dumb. God's not. And so if we find faith and hope and trust in him, the dumbness level just changes a little bit. We're still pretty dumb, but we're a redeemed version of dumb. If I'm offending, I'm really sorry. It's, it is true, though. Where were we? Okay. Truly, he was the son of God. Duh. Okay, fair enough. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And then he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. The next day... That is the day after the preparation. The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said that while he was still alive, that after three days he would rise again. Therefore, could you order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples sneak in and take our body away and then claim that he has risen from the dead, and lest the fraud be worse than the first. So the last fraud be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You make a great point. Very good. Um, go and make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by setting the stone and setting a guard around the tomb. So essentially, the government gets involved and goes, okay, maybe he is the son of God. All that stuff happened around his death. Um, yeah, gosh, that's right. He said three days he would rise. So if he is the son of God, we've got to safeguard this. So let's, the government then 
put security around it, like, like full federal agents then guard the tomb. There's a massive stone that's put in front that they, they cannot physically move and then they're just watching it. They've got little curly things behind their ears that go to a little uh, voice piece at the back and it's all just like, I don't know what to do this. They put their finger on their ear and they're listening for whatever. I'm not sure. But, but they're protecting the tomb from any sort of foul play where the disciples could sneak in and just do like a little, ta-da, he's gone, we told you. Um, magic moment. That was never going to happen. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was another great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Wow. Again, do do you think about that? An earthquake, like if an earthquake happened now, we would all be fully aware of that. We'd be running for the exits and sort of hiding under bathtubs or whatever they do in earthquakes. And, and so then and as an angel f- comes down and the earth shakes again and then it rolls the stone and just sits up there, happy as you like. Like, fascinating story. I, just, I wish I was there. His appearance was like lightning. And his clothing white as snow. And for the fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead. If you're wanting a picture of what happened to the guards, have you seen fainting goats on YouTube? That's what happened. Like they were startled by the angel. Oh, oh, there they go. That's exactly what they weren't dead, but they were oh, like dead. So fainting goats is what happened to the, um, the soldiers at the, at the tomb. True story. And the angel said this to the women, do not be afraid. Now, I find this interesting, that an angel visited to proclaim Jesus' entry into the world. And what did the angel say? Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Now, if I saw a being fall from heaven and look like lightning and made the whole earth shook, I would be afraid. I, I, I won't tell you what I would be doing, but I would be doing exactly what you're thinking I would be doing. I would be doing that. <laughs> and so the angel goes, fear not. Don't be afraid. See, because God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. But hold on, doesn't the Bible say well, you should fear the Lord? Yeah, because fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what that means is we position ourselves in such a way where we see him as holy and, and, and awesome and we, we surrender ourselves to God because he is the perfect and we are not. And the fear of the Lord for me is, is more a fear of what my life would turn out like, what my life would be like without him in it. That scares me. So I surrender my life freely to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, and, and so, but as far as I'm afraid and I'm and have no confidence that's what he's talking about fear not the angel says to the, to the ladies um, <clears throat> do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified and this is the clincher he is not here he is risen he is not here he is risen and he said come and see the place where he lay then Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and came to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Interesting choice of words, but um, 
I would have went with surprise. That would be a better option for me, but greetings works. Um, or told you so, that also would have been sufficient. But. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said, do not be afraid. Again, don't be, don't be filled with fear. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went to the city and told the chief priests what had taken place. And they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel. They gave a great sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while they were still asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this very day. It wasn't really the Messiah. There was a bit of a stage there. But we believe, as Christians, that Jesus was the Messiah, that the resurrection did take place, and that is why we're here this morning, to celebrate what that means for us in our everyday life. Now, here's the cool thing. I'm going to finish here. Um, So Jesus died on the cross, and he rose again. Thanks, Joe. You could have walked straight up, but you've done the long walk of shame, and now I've pointed that out. It's, um, it's way more awkward now, isn't it? There you go. No, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good. And so, like, the resurrection means everything. Like, how on earth does something that is dead become alive again. That, that defies logic, that defies reason, that defines rationality, that defies science. It's exactly what God does. He defies what we think is rational, what we think is reasonable, what we think is fair. His ways are higher, his thoughts are greater. And that's exactly what faith is. Faith is I I surrender my ability to know everything, to put my hope and trust in you who does know everything. Because in this life we only see in part. But one day we we will see in full. And we've got all these curly questions like, why was there zombies? One day we'll know in full. When we're in glory with him forever. So what happens is the 11 disciples go to Galilee where Jesus says to meet them and he meets them there. When they saw him, they worshipped him, and some doubted. We know Thomas doubted. And Jesus was like, well, check my hands, check my feet. And then Thomas believed. And then this is the thing, like, this is where the rubber hits the road for us, is, is Jesus gives us a mission. He doesn't just go, I'm going to die on the cross and, and save people from their sins and be the once and for all atoning sacrifice for all humanity. He does do that. And, and that shifts everything for us, that we are now the righteousness of Christ. And it's a free gift that he gives us too. This is not something that we can earn or deserve. Or, or This is a free gift so that none of us can boast in how good we are, but only boast in how good he is to us. So what happens is, in a human life, and this will happen to me, and this is maybe will happen to many people here today, is, there comes a moment where you're, you're presented with the gospel, the, the message of Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins. And, um, and the way to become a Christian or a follower of Jesus is not to um, do a 10-week course or 
you know, um, sell all your possessions and give it to the church. Uh, if you want to do that, the account details are on screen. This small, I'm, j- I'm joking, don't. The Bible simply says the way to, to become a follower of Jesus is to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was the Son of God and God rose him from the dead. So essentially it is saying this, it is saying, God, I I am sorry for the life I've lived, but now that I've seen the truth of who you are, I pray you would forgive me for my folly, from the way I've lived my life before, and today I choose to, to give my life to you and to follow you. And what happens from that point? Does that mean we become like weird Christians that say hallelujah, amen every third sentence? For some of us, yes, and I pray for those brothers and sisters. But nothing dramatically happens to you as a person. What happens to you spiritually is you are resurrected. You were once dead to God. You are now alive in God. And the, the, the opportunities for God to move in your life now become unlimited. That's incredible. But then God doesn't just leave us to go, cool, I've saved you from your sin. I've, got, I've given you a relationship with me now. That's all good. We're reconnected again. He then gives us a mission. And this mission he gave to the disciples, and this mission is the mission of the church. And this is why I, st- I struggle a little bit with, like, what's the vision statement for the church? What's the mission statement? What's your ten values? What's the more? Be with Jesus and be like Jesus. That's what it is, really. Like, I struggle to put a business model over the church because the church isn't a business. The church is the kingdom of God. But if we had a mission, which we do, it's, it's this. It's unchanging. This is what Jesus has asked his people to do 2,000 years ago, and it hasn't ever changed. And this is what our mission will be till the end of time. He says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded. So that's our mission is to take what God has done in us and just go and love people and share it with them. Lead them to God, to make disciples, to introduce, to take this gospel message that has transformed us into this world. And Lord knows this world needs it more than ever. Baptize them, help them identify with Christ, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. We spent six months, two years ago, going through the Jesus Sermon on the Mount. It was awesome. Like, if you're not sure, oh, how should I live as a Christian? Start there, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Read what Jesus, his greatest teaching ever about how to live life. It's awesome. That's the standard. And then here's the best part of all that. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That we, we are not called to be like weird religious zealots that are just on mission to go and convert people we're called to be ambassadors we're called to represent the God of this, of, of this earth and the heavens well in such a way that people can see the transformative work he's done in our life and find that interesting enough to want to make that decision for themselves that's where it starts and this is I don't know why I'm talking about this but my my bugbear with evangelism is simply because why? Oh, because I want people to get saved. Great, me too. 
want people to know Jesus, great, me too. I want them to become followers and disciples, great, me too. But why? What's underneath that motivation? I want those things too, but what is driving that? And if it's just because, well, I want more numbers. I want to feel good. No, no. If it's because I genuinely love people, well, let's just genuinely love people then. Regardless if they believe what we believe, regardless if they're going to accept our gospel or not, if, if, if what undergirds our evangelism attempt is love, well, let's just love people without having to have a, a reward or let's... I think if evangelism is not motivated by love, it's just works. And God doesn't smile on that. God doesn't move on that. It's a free gift that no one could should boast. How did I get there? I don't even know. But today, Resurrection Sunday. So hard for me. Why don't we just close our eyes? We're going to finish right here this morning. I don't know where everyone's at today in, in their life and their faith journey, but um, one way or another, you found yourself here today. And I kind of reckon God's probably designed it that way for you to be here and be part of what's happening here, to hear the message of the gospel, the story of Jesus. And I kind of feel like It'd be remiss of me to not give people an opportunity to, to respond today if God's stirring in your heart and, and drawing you in to know Him more. I want to give you that chance today to make that decision, to become a follower of Jesus. And it's simple as this. It's... It's a prayer from your heart that's genuine that says, God, I'm sorry for living my life completely my way and not acknowledging you at all. I ask you to forgive me for that and I pray that you would take away all my sin that has separated me from you so that I can live this life with you, put my faith in you, I put my trust in you. It's a prayer that says, God, would you come and dwell in my heart? Would you come and live in my life, would you lead me? Would you guide me? So, Lord, I just pray in this moment for every single person here today. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be at work in us and through us, just encouraging us, calling us. a closer relationship with you, God. Lord, I thank you for what this day represents, this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, that, that you truly are, Jesus, the Son of God. There is no other way to logically explain, explain what happened on this Sunday, 2,000 years ago, other than you are God, sent to earth in human form, to be the once and for all sacrifice for human sin. So we choose, Jesus, to follow you today. Maybe we need to reconnect to you. Maybe we've wandered and drifted and today we need to 
we want to reconnect to you. Or maybe for the first time we're making that decision to actually put our faith in you that, that in and of this world there is no hope. There is no, it's just darkness and despair. But, but in Jesus who is the light of heaven, there is hope, there is life. Thank you. Touch every person this morning. As we close, with every eye closed before we finish, I, would just, I want you just to pray this prayer with me. Would you do that? Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross. I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for the resurrection. I pray you'd forgive me of my sin and reconnect me with you. And today, I choose to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Have you prayed that prayer for the first time? Or maybe you're like, yeah, I kind of need to reconnect to God. Would you come and see me after the service and just say, hey, that was me. I'd I'd love to meet you. I'd love to chat with you. I'd love to encourage you. Um, But um, yeah such a significant thing that this decision is not like oh cool I've just joined a club that I can go to on Sundays no no this decision is oh cool I've just joined the King of Kings and Lord of Lords my eternity is secure forever and he promises me with me always that's pretty cool that's pretty cool